All right. Welcome to episode 56 of Inappropriate Earl. Uh, today's episode actually has no guest. This is another solo show, and we're going to just kind of go all over the place, starting off with my recap of UFC 185, which was actually one of the better cards recently. You know, if you're a UFC MMA fan, you know that the UFC has most of the top fighters in the world under contract, so they have to have a dozen cards a month just to justify keeping all these guys under salary. And uh, so some of the cards aren't that good. And uh, UFC 185 uh, stood out, you know, like last uh, week's card with Ronda Rousey. It was really just one good fight on the card, and then the rest were fights that, you know, five or six years ago would have been on the prelims. And uh, the one good fight in that fight was uh, under uh, over in uh, 14 seconds. So uh, I'm one of the people who paid $60 for it. So uh, I got my money's worth uh, on Saturday's card because every fight was good. Even the preliminary fights were good. And rarely will you see a fight on the early prelims uh, affect a fight on the main card. And I think we saw that when Anthony Pettis' brother, uh, Sergio Pettis, was dominating the fight with uh, Ryan Benoit. And Benoit, like, can happen at any point. In any fight, took down Pettis and beat him, knocked him out. And they had a camera of uh, Anthony Pettis watching the fight, and you could literally see the air come out of the balloon. And, of course, later on in the main event, we'll go over that in a bit, uh, I think what happened nobody could have predicted which was a five-round thrashing of Anthony Pettis by Rafael Dos Anjos, who started his UFC career off at like four and four. So I don't think Dana White or anyone in the UFC would have ever have thought that Dos Anjos would have dominated the champion. But he did, and... Uh, you know, I was interested in this card mainly because, you know, if you listen to Inappropriate Earl, and hopefully you do, that my love of the heavyweights is like my love of big tits. I just love me a good heavyweight fight. And we had one here in Roy Babyface Nelson against the Reen, Alistair Overeem. And uh, we were not disappointed because we saw a... Slightly slimmer Alistair Overeem face a... Well, I can't say a slightly slimmer Roy Nelson. That's like saying a skinny chick on The Biggest Loser, episode one. Uh, and Roy Nelson, as Dana White said in the post-fight conference, is not human because he took some massive, massive knees... Uh, from Overeem, who is a decorated kickboxing champion, uh, K1 champion, 
uh, Pride and uh, Strike Force champion. Although his Strike Force uh, title kind of gets uh, overvalued, or you might say undervalued, because he wasn't facing the greatest competition over there. I mean, when uh, Brett Rogers is one of the people you've defeated, uh, a lot of people are going to say, well, you weren't in the UFC, baby. So, uh, you know, and his UFC tenure over him, that is, has been uh, disappointing, I think. You know, uh, massive knockout loss to a Bigfoot Silva and then a uh, massive knockout loss to Travis Brown. Um, he's now won uh, three in a row, beating uh, Struve, Mir, and Nelson. So they're, I think they're trying to... Uh, rehabilitate his image you know when he came into the UFC Overeem was thought okay this is the next champion you know he had the look you know and for those of you familiar with Overeem you'll uh, see a slight physique transformation you know in 2003 when he fought Chuck Liddell in pride he literally looked like Roger from what's happening and now he uh Looks like a black Lou Ferrigno. So uh, a lot of uh, rumors about how that physical transformation took place. And then he, uh, you know, the UFC is under fire for their, uh, you know, a lot of their uh, top guys testing positive recently. You know, Belfour, uh, Anderson Silva, among others. And uh, so I think Overeem fought clean in a couple of those losses and, uh, you know, was not the same fighter, clearly. I mean, uh, in the Travis Brown fight specifically, I think he wilted after he unleashed an amazing barrage of kicks and punches to Brown, and, and Brown got up and took it. And uh, a lot of people speculated that maybe... He, Overeem was not as strong as he used to be. Uh, read into that what you will. Um, but he appears to be uh, back um, after changing camps. You know, he was with the Black Zillions down in uh, Florida. And uh, he is now with Craig Jackson's uh, camp in uh, New Mexico. And he seems to be a smarter fighter for sure under Jackson. You know, with the Brax. Braxillians with the Blackzillians, uh, he would just go all out for 45 seconds to two minutes, gas out, and then, you know, guys would take advantage of that. And uh, I think the change has actually helped him. Um, although his time with the Blackzillians was marred in somewhat controversy because he uh, caused a very serious knee injury to one of their uh, better prospects. And uh, Anthony Johnson said he would love to fight Overeem at one point because uh, Overeem was uh, basically, uh, according to Johnson, kind of a dick and a, a bad training partner. And, uh, you know, you haven't heard that from the uh, Jackson camp. So, uh, you know, I think a, a good Overeem is definitely beneficial to the uh, heavyweight division because, uh, you know, if you look at the heavyweight division, it's, it's actually pretty good, in my opinion. I mean, you've, you've got a lot of uh, good fighters, although some of them are uh, 
what might be considered uh, out of their prime. You know, Josh Barnett is, I think, uh, at number six. Orlovsky. Uh, I mean, these are guys who fought in pride and affliction. So, uh, you know, they've been around the block. And Mark Hunt is, uh, I think, uh, might be number five. You know, he is uh, certainly in contention. Uh, he's uh, got a fight with Miocic coming up. Um, of course, there's a fight in uh, Poland, uh, I think, this next month with uh, Krokop back in the promotion fighting uh, Gonzaga. So, uh, you know, we got a resurgent Todd Duffy in the mix now. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of good fights uh, to be made. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where uh, Overeem, uh, who his next opponent is. I think Dana White would love to have him up against Dos uh, Santos. Those two guys have a bit of a history. And, uh, you know, I think they got to be careful with Overeem, though, because he does kind of have a weak chin. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you put him in there against those, you know, what he did against Nelson, which I thought was crazy, was there was two times uh, where he had his back to the cage and he would let Nelson tee off on him, almost doing the rope-a-dope. I don't know what the proper terminology for that in the octagon is. Uh, the octodope, and uh, I thought he was crazy for doing that because Nelson was landing some bombs, but uh, Overeem, for once in his life, was had his hands up and defending quite nicely. And, uh, you know, you do that against Dos Santos or Miocic or, uh, you know, one of the best, you know, Mark Hunt, uh, you know, Overeem's head is going to be flying around the world, separated from his body, of course. Um unless he starts uh, eating shark meat again. But uh, so it's good to see Overeem back. You know, another card, uh, another fight on the card was uh, Johnny Hendricks against uh, the immortal Matt Brown. Great fight. You know, Hendricks looked to uh, be in great shape. You could actually see his abs for once. And, uh, you know, Matt Brown, very, very tough dude. Uh, but he just, Hendricks just seems to be motivated to get back. His title, which uh, now Robbie Lawler has, and uh, Lawler's got a fight with uh, Roy McDonald uh, in Montreal, I think. You know, I would love to see McDonald uh, do a title fight outside of Canada, but uh, it seems like they're kind of rooting for McDonald. But uh, and I think Hendricks will get the winner of uh, that fight, and uh, it'll probably be in uh, Quebec. <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, I would love to see that fight in Texas, but, uh, you know, Hendricks is hungry, uh, looks healthy. Uh, you know, I don't know where Matt Brown goes from here. He's, he's almost like the Frank Mir of uh, this division, you know, kind of the gatekeeper. He's a good guy to get a win over, but uh, not sure, uh, you know, what they do with him now. And, uh, you know, that division's uh, pretty good right now. A lot of good fights and... Uh, tell you the fight that uh, really uh, got me uh, going wow was the Esparza Jedrzejczyk fight we'll just call her uh, I don't know what's a good name to call her that, that's uh, JJ we'll call her JJ because that last name's crazy uh, she dominated the champion Carla Esparza and uh, just a two-round uh, thrashing uh, of the champion which is rare and uh, I think the 
thoughts going into this fight was that Carla Sparza would, uh, you know, with her superior wrestling skills, would uh, just take the fight to the ground and 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 beat the striker. But uh, she never got the opportunity, and uh, you know the total strikes were fifty-five to six. And what's even more telling is the significant strikes were a 53 to 4. And uh, Esparza got, she did get one takedown, so we'll give her that. But, uh, you know, I think they were kind of grooming Esparza to be like the, you know, ethnic Rousey, if you will, of, you know, good looking, kind of a, kind of a cocky shit talker. And uh, this Polish girl just. I mean, it was literally like watching a Taibo instructor fight, you know, a seasoned uh, boxer. It was just like, wow, how was the Sparza? I mean, Sparza must share some DNA with Roy Nelson because she took some major bombs and she didn't quit. Kind of reminded me of uh, when Mike Tyson was fighting Razor Ruddock and Tyson was just landing these bombs and Ruddock would just stay there and take it. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it. I think we have a new star in the women's division. And it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I don't know how many great fights there are in the strawweight division. You know, there's, there's, although it's it's a new division, you know, it, this could be one where, you know, you have, you know, five champions in two years. You know, I mean, you just don't know a lot about these girls and what they can do until they fight each other. So I'm sure Esparza will be back in the mix. But uh, she's got a lot of work to do uh, to uh, her striking defense was, uh, wasn't the best. And uh, J.J. was just awesome to watch. I mean, just picking a very good MMA fighter apart, making her look like an amateur. And then we have the main event. Uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis, seemingly uh, unbeatable champion. Uh, you know, he made a quick work of uh, Gilbert Melendez last fight and uh you know Dosanos just a five round thrashing uh, and like I said uh when we started I, I don't know if Anthony's little brother uh Sergio's loss affected him mentally but uh I've never seen a guy look not clueless but he he definitely uh looked like he had no answer for uh, Dos Anjos. Uh, you know, the strikes were you know, pretty even, you know. Uh, but, you know, 144 to 96. But the significant strikes were 90 to 54. So uh, Dos Anjos just was relentless. And where the fight was won, I think, is nine takedowns for Dos Anjos, zero for Anthony Pettis. And that's nine takedowns out of ten attempts. So it's kind of like the uh, John Jones-Cormier fight. If you were to say Jones was going to take Cormier down five times, I'd be like, you're crazy. So if you were to tell me Dos Anjos was going to take Pettis down, I, I wouldn't say that's unbelievable. But I certainly wouldn't uh, say it was going to happen with a 90% accuracy rate. So, you know, I think uh, the UFC is uh, definitely 
probably a little bummed out. You know, because I think they were kind of grooming Pettis to be like, uh, you know, their next star, their next marketable uh, star with his obviously good looks and, and his heritage. But uh, they got a little uh, blip in the radar there because, you know, although Dos Anjos is a great fighter, he's not the greatest looking guy and he. His English isn't great, so that, that's kind of hard to market to the American audience. But uh, we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a rematch is... Uh, I don't know if he'll get the immediate rematch. and Because uh, I think Donald Cerrone has uh, something to say about that if he wins his next fight. And, uh, you know, and uh, I guess I missed the uh, first uh, bout on the main card. Chris Carriasso against... Henry Sayudo. Uh, that was uh, kind of another squash match as well. Uh, you know, Sayudo just dominated. 111 uh, total strikes to 41. Significant strikes, 50 to 22. Takedowns, 6 to 0. Uh, I think Carriasso just... Uh, you know, did not look very well. Didn't seem to have an answer for anything. So uh, that's uh, another uh, fight that was kind of a one in dominating fashion. You know, really all bouts on the main card were uh, not blowouts necessarily. You know, uh, I think Overeem's fight, you could say he dominated Nelson, but, uh, you know, you always had the feeling that Nelson... I would say out of all the cards on the main, main all the fights on the main card, you could say Nelson was always kind of in it because even at the end of the fight, he landed a overhand right that uh, knocked Overeem down, and you had the feeling that if there was one more minute left in the fight, you know Nelson could have won it uh, because we all know uh, Overeem's uh, historically uh, weak chin. And I don't uh, know. Sometimes I think that's unfair to say that anyone in the heavyweight division has a weak chin because you're talking, you know, guys who, you know, weigh between 230 and, and, and the limit is 265. But on the night of the fight, you know, a lot of these guys toward the higher end of that limit are, are probably 275, 280. You know, a guy like Bigfoot Silva, you know, uh, Mark Hunt, uh, you know, are, you know, pretty uh, fueled up by fight night. You know, in between the uh, you know weigh-ins and and the fight, they probably put on ten to f ten pounds. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's in a way I'm arguing with myself. You know, you get hit by anyone who's two hundred and forty to two hundred and eighty pounds, you're probably going to go down. But uh, some guys seem to be able to have the ability to take shots better. You know, Roy Nelson took probably at least five to six knees, overeem knees, which are different than. Um, most knees in the heavyweight division and just kept walking forward, uh, you know, which is uh, pretty impressive. And uh, he took several huge kicks to the liver and stomach area that uh, didn't seem to affect him. And, uh, you know, we all remember the Brock Lesnar overeem fight where uh, one kick to the liver and uh, Lesnar went down quicker than Tower 2 on 9-11. So, uh, you know, just to indicate you know, how hard those kicks are. So, uh, you know, the other fights were pretty 
pretty dominant in how they were won. And, uh, of course, there was one other heavyweight fight on the the FX prelims, uh, Jared Rorschult and uh, Josh Copeland. Uh, and that was kind of a uh, kind of a weird fight because they're they're friends and uh, sometime training partners, and uh, you know they didn't really seem to want to engage. And uh, Rocheult's great, great uh, wrestling background, but uh, very powerful, uh, and uh, he, I guess you'd say, dominated Copeland. You know, uh, I don't know uh, who uh, Copeland's. Uh, Ab coaches, I think it's Fedor, because he uh, looked like he uh, swallowed a barrel or something. But uh, you know he's got tremendous knockout power. But uh, you know these are, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, heavyweight uh, prospects, and uh, so it's always good to get some. Uh, y- I don't know, uh, wouldn't necessarily say younger guys, but uh, guys uh, who don't have a lot of MMA miles on them. And uh, Rochelle's a guy to, I think, watch out for because. He is, um, you know, uh, got a great wrestling uh, base and uh, very, very uh, heavy-handed puncher. Um, And he had a big gap in uh, total strikes and significant strikes and takedowns. So he's someone to watch out for. I mean, Copeland, uh, you know, he's definitely a guy you could throw in uh, to a, a main card fight and it would look impressive uh, if you beat him because he's big, big guy. But his cardio, uh, I don't know, he seemed to gas out toward the end there. And, uh, you know, I think Rochelle uh, didn't necessarily uh, let up on him. But uh, I think if they weren't friends, this could have ended a lot sooner. It's always tough to see those fights where they're friends, you know. I remember that one fight with uh, Mir and uh, it was a Krokov. It looked like a fucking sparring session they're shaking hands in between punches and hugging each other when they would take each other down it's like a, uh, that's why i kind of do want to see overeem and dos santos because you know those guys are definitely two alpha males and uh they don't like each other but uh you know we'll see what happens there so uh i think the next fight uh you know there's so many fights to keep up with now we hit a couple cards though uh where it's uh I don't know. I mean, like, the next fight is a UFC fight night uh, in Rio. <laughs> Damian Maya has the main fight, uh, head- headlining fight. And, uh, you know, poor old uh, Josh Koscheck is fighting Eric Silva. Uh, last time you saw Koscheck in the ring, it looked like he swallowed a load by Peter North. He was foaming at the mouth. And then... Uh, the rest of the card is just uh, a lot of Brazilian uh, dudes and uh, chicks, although these two chicks look like dudes. Uh, but, uh, hey, they could probably beat my ass. So, I, uh, you know, Amanda Nunes and against uh, kind of a uh, legendary uh, female uh, fighter, Shayna Baszler. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm not too excited about this card, to be completely honest with you. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying every card has to be like, UFC 185, where you're into every fight, but, you know, and then the next uh, card after that is uh, Gonzaga against Krokop in Poland, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, kind of excited about that card, cause, just because of that event, you know, the rest of the card is, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, suspect at best, in my opinion. And then you have another card uh, in April. That's uh, I'm a little more excited about that because it's Machida and Rockhold. I love Luke Rockhold, but I'm a, I'm a in full disclosure, I am a Strike Force nutswinger, if you will, because uh, you know I love those uh, Strike Force guys and uh, you know Kennedy Rockhold, Cormier, you know Bigfoot Silva, Overeem, Dan Henderson, Babalu, Mayhem Miller, who's been uh, hanging out at the comedy store lately, which is uh, kind of funny. Nice guy. But uh, he's walking around with this look in his eyes like he could explode at any minute. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a uneasy feeling when he's up there because the security guys, they know who he is. And they're like, oh, we can't take him. <laughs> and so, uh, but he's a cool guy. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, UFC Fight Night, April 18th, Machida Rockhold. You've also got uh, Souza and Romero. That's a good, good fight. And then uh, Swanson and Holloway is a good car- good fight. And, uh you know, you've got Jim Miller fighting. I always love watching him. And then uh, another card, I'm I'm kind of, not. God, I don't know why I keep saying card. Another fight I'm kind of uh, looking forward to is uh, Ovince St. Preux against Patrick Cummings. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, they kind of put down Patrick Cummings because Cormier killed him. But, you know, he took the fight on short notice and, uh, you know, kind of ballsy to do it. Uh, and... Uh, but he's been pretty dominating in uh, every one of his other fights. Great wrestling, you know, and so that uh, that's a kind of a good card, I think. And uh, and then you have UFC 186, Dillashaw against Barrow two. You got uh, Demetrius Johnson fighting, you know, Bisping and Dalloway fighting. I'm kind of excited about that. You know, Cote and Riggs. You've got uh, no heavyweights on this card. Uh, Davis and Kaufman, I like that. And uh, also uh, a fight that I'm very interested in uh, is, I almost said Greg Jackson, but uh, Rampage Jackson against uh, Fabio Maldonado. And if you've ever watched Maldonado fight, uh, you'll know that this guy can take punishment. And just the balls on this guy, you know, when... uh, one of the car- recent cards was in danger. Me, uh, I think it was the Miocic card. He, uh, his opponent uh, got injured. Maldonado stepped up to fight a heavyweight, and he got killed. But it was still you appreciate the guy's balls of uh, you know fighting one of the top top heavyweights and a, an amazing striker in Stepe Miocic fighting Mark Hudson. But uh, Maldonado. Uh, it's like a, a rock'em sock'em robot. He will take shots and just stand there in front of you. And, uh, you know, Rampage, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, you know, he, he's, you know, when you fought uh, in pro, when you fought Kevin Randleman, you know, you've been around. So uh, I don't know how much gas he has left in the tank. Um, but, you know, I, I am looking forward to this fight as well as the uh, Bellator fight uh, happening in June of uh, 51-year-old Ken Shamrock and uh, Kimbo Slice. I mean, that's what I love about Bellator is that, you know, with Scott Coker back in the mix, uh, you know, if you're Scott Coker, uh, familiar with Scott Coker, you know that he ran Strikeforce. And Strikeforce had some great fights because they would give you matchups you know, like they would put Dan Henderson in there uh, against a 
slow plotting person who would just come right at him straight line and it was you knew it was going to be a knockout or you know they wouldn't put like they would almost have like pro wrestling mismatches guaranteeing an exciting fight you know and uh like they'd give Fedor Brett Rogers you know someone who they knew wasn't going to try and take Fedor down and would just kind of stand in front of him and uh, so you got a spectacular knockout you know Bigfoot Silva against Fedor you know neither guy uh would uh try and take the other down they just you know kill each other and you know fade Oregon's dan henderson you know you knew that was gonna exactly what happened happened you know they'd just stand and bang until one clipped the other so uh you know you got to give it to bellator I, I don't really look at them as competition for the ufc but uh they will i think try and make it as hard as they can and uh give people fights that aren't necessarily great fights but fights that people will tune into you know i mean i don't even know if it's legal for a 51 year old shamrock to fight but uh bellator doesn't care they're gonna put him in there anyway and uh you know maybe capture a live death on uh you know during sweeps weeks in june so that's uh I don't even know what uh, Bellator's schedule is. I, I think they just look at a UFC schedule and go, okay, we're going to try and fuck with them, and we're going to put a Friday card right before their big fight just to try and steal some of their audience. So, uh, you know, I think it's good overall. You know, Bellator uh, has better cards, more cards, uh, just because uh, I think competition is always good. And even though uh, UFC is miles ahead of Bellator, I, I think it'll push them to you know, uh, you know, find Bellator out eventually. I mean, you don't want to, you know, going up against UFC is, it's kind of like, you know, when WCW was going against WWE, you know, there is a model for you to be competitive against a company that's much bigger than you are. And, uh, I think you need four things. And I might've mentioned this on a previous, uh, podcast, uh, maybe the sting podcast I did, which was actually one of the more popular, uh, episodes of inappropriate Earl where I just spoke about staying and what we'll, and not the bass player from the police but the 55 uh, year old wrestler coming back we'll cover that in a second but uh, there is a model to go up against the UFC and that's what WCW did uh, you need four things you need uh, a short-term plan you need a medium range term plan you need a long-term plan and you also need the money to implement these plans and uh, in WCW's case they they had three out of the four things you know their short-term plan was brilliant you sign all the older stars that people are familiar with you know the macho mans the Ric Flair's the Hulk Hogan's uh, you have a short-term plan which was uh, probably the greatest short-term plan and, and swerve ever in the pro wrestling business which was turning Hulk Hogan bad guy, which was unthinkable at the time, that uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, uh, you know, clean shaven except for his mustache, uh, and yellow and red outfits, goes to the dark side, grows a black beard, you know, starts wearing all black, and forms the NWO, and uh, just dominated in the ratings. And then... Uh, you know, once the NWO got a little stale, you know, they still had, you know, their midterm uh, or mid-range plan, you could say, was the uh, cruiserweight division, you know, the 
you know, the Chris Benoit's, the Eddie Guerrero's, the Ray Mysterio's, the Dane Malenko's providing these, Lance Storm to a degree, providing these great technical wrestling matches that, you know, would placate the people who actually tuned into wrestling to watch a good match. I don't know who does that, but, uh, you know, but then their downfall, and they had Ted Turner's money, and uh, Ted Turner could shit out what Vince McMahon makes in a day. Uh, they had no long-term plan, and that killed them because even with the enormous financial advantage that they had, uh, once the, the Cruiserweight thing got old and the NWO was, you know, you know the NWO was old when fucking, you know, Virgil and Horace Hogan were in it. Um, you know, they dropped the ball, and uh, WWE took it and ran with it, and it's, uh, you know, been a massive... Uh, victory for them because they basically have no competition now. And I think Bellator is in a very similar position where, you know, they could at some point sign the big stars of the UFC when their contracts are up. You know, uh, Brock Lesnar uh, is, is rumored to at least be considering Bellator. Um, you know, when John Jones's contract comes up, you know, he could say, hey, I'm going over to them. You know, really any champion's contract is up. They could all go over to Bellator. And, uh, you know, the UFC would be, uh, have competition for probably the first time in a very long time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, uh, you know, if you're an MMA fan, a lot of cards coming up. I don't know how many of them are good. But, uh, you know, UFC 185 uh, gets an A- minus in my book. And trust me, not a lot of recent cards have uh, gotten a good grade from not just me, but most fans. And, uh, you know, I'm always a little scared. You know, I, I think, you know, Dana White's attitude seems to be, hey, if you don't like it, don't buy it. And, uh, you know, although I, I'm sure it's hard when you're in his position or uh, the Fertitas, you know, to hear fans bitching and complaining, you know, I think the majority of most fans don't expect every card to be great and every fight to be like Mark Hunt and, you know, Bigfoot Silva, where it's just five-round blood fest, guys just trading shots. But, you know, you got to be careful, I think, with that attitude because at some point people are going to start listening to you, Dana, and not buying your product. And, you know, UFC numbers have gone down constantly. You know, they might have seen a slight resurgence with the Rousey card. But, you know, you got to ask yourself how many people who bought the Rousey card are going to spend $60 again or $50. You know, DirecTV charges $10 extra if you want it in high def. But how many people from that uh, fight are going to want to spend $50, $60 when the main event, really the only reason you bought the card, lasted 14 seconds. Now, I'm not saying Rousey should have carried the girl a couple rounds just to make people feel like they got their money's worth, but, you know, 50 60 bucks is a lot of money to a lot of people who order these cards. Uh, you know, if you spend that kind of money two to three times a month, uh, you know, that means a lot of these people can't buy their fucking Affliction shirts. Which, by the way, I gave to homeless people. So if you're in the L.A. area and you see someone walking around with a uh, bedazzled dragon uh, Josh Barnett affliction shirt, uh, that came from my closet, most likely. And uh, I've been 
I've been feeling pretty bad about that, you know. You know, when you're homeless, penniless, haven't had a meal in a couple of days, and you're destitute, uh, thanks to me, I made your life that much worse by wearing an Affliction or Ed Hardy shirt. By the way, if you're in L.A., uh, that uh, Ed Hardy outlet store in Melrose finally closed. I can't believe it, though. I mean, you think about it. That, an Ed Hardy outlet store, that's a store for people who wear Ed Hardy who don't want that shit. Like, that's a store where people who wear Ed Hardy walked into and go, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> so I don't know who was buying that stuff, but apparently not enough people. So uh, that's my uh, UFC MMA uh, talk. We're now going to uh, get into a little bit of uh, pro wrestling talk. It's a lead up to WrestleMania. Excuse me, I just took a sip from my... Uh, well, I'm not going to say the brand of energy drink that I uh, drink because they don't pay me. So, uh, you know, my throat's a little parched. But uh, we are two weeks out from WrestleMania, and, uh, you know, many of you know me. You know who my uh, number one guy is in uh, wrestling, and that is the great Steve Borden, uh, otherwise known as Sting. And uh, he is making his, uh, not his WWE in-ring debut, I guess, but because uh, he's... Uh, Debuted at uh, Survivor Series where he uh, caused Triple H and the authority the match when he walked out and uh, put Dolph Ziggler uh, on top of uh, Seth Rollins and they, you know, the authority uh, got kicked out but then of course they came back and then he also had a nice uh, in-ring moment with uh, Triple H at uh, Fastlane where they set up the uh, singles match at WrestleMania. And uh, it's going to, you know, WrestleMania, I don't think I have recalled a WrestleMania that has as little uh, attention as this one, at least two weeks out. And it's a pretty good uh, card, to be honest with you. I mean, right now there's seven matches. You've got uh, Brock Lesnar with Paul Heyman. Versus Roman Reigns. And uh, you get Sting and Triple H. You've got the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which will probably be the bathroom break portion of the show for the crowd. And then you've got, uh, you know, kind of an interesting ladder match with Bad News Barrett, R-Truth, Dean Ambrose, Luke Harper, Dolph Ziggler, Stardust, and Daniel Bryan. Uh, I don't know how happy Dolph Ziggler and Daniel Bryan can be uh, to be in that. And then you've got Rusev against John Cena. Uh, AJ Lee and Page versus the Bella Twins, which will probably be bathroom break number two. And uh, probably as of at least uh, right now, uh, the most talked about, if you can use that phrase, um, match is The Undertaker's return against Bray Wyatt. Uh, now, a lot of people thought The Undertaker and Sting would uh, fight this year. But there were rumors of, uh, let's just say, The Undertaker's health and physical appearance not being great, which uh, have almost been substantiated by um, his not appearing on WWE TV, even for the buildup of this match. Uh, although I will say Bray Wyatt has got some great promos. And 
I think that'll be a fun uh, match. I'm sure Bray Wyatt will, you know, for lack of a better word, job to The Undertaker and get The Undertaker back on a winning streak, uh, potentially setting up a match with Sting next year, uh, which, of course, is in Texas, The Undertaker's home state. And, uh, you know, I think that will finally be the match that people want to see, Sting and The Undertaker, although I don't know if they should be wrestling by themselves. I mean... They're both. Uh, you talk about guys who have uh, a lot of wrestling mileage on them. I, you know, it'd have to be a very short match, ten minutes or less. And I don't know if you want to have a ten minutes or less match at WrestleMania. And I'm assuming a Sting and Undertaker match would be high up on the card. So uh, I'd almost like to see them have either a Bray Wyatt or a, a Ziggler or a Rollins thrown into that match, so you can. Probably add another five minutes uh, of whoever they choose to bump for Sting and uh, The Undertaker. But we got to get through this year first. And uh, I'm sure there'll be uh, another match or two added. And uh, by the way, in the uh, Andre the Giant Memorial Battle, uh, as of now, and it's uh, March 16th, you have The Miz, Curtis Axel, Ryback, Fandango, Adam Rose, Zack Ryder, Jack Swagger, Titus O'Neil, Darren Young, Big Show, Kane, Eric Rowan, Damian Mizdow, and Sin Cara. So uh, I would say the septic system of the uh, arena will be in full use <laughs> when that match is going on. And, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to win that one. Although I do like uh, Mizdow. He's pretty funny. Um, and I'm sensing probably something goes down where maybe Miz and Mizdow are the final two. And, you know, if you've been watching uh, the WWE product, you know, you'll know that Mizdow is actually getting more cheers than the Miz. So I'm sure that's going to set up for something down the road. But uh, staying in Triple H is uh, really why I might even go to WrestleMania this year. Uh, I'm assuming Triple H will do the job for staying. Because you can tell in their, uh, you know, sketches or uh, vignettes, whatever you want to call them, that uh, Triple H very much respects Sting. And he's taken a couple hard scorpion death drops to sell Sting as a badass. And uh, I'm also assuming that there is no way that Sting is coming to the WWE and losing his first match. So it'll be interesting to see how they go with that. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how Sting uh, looks in a WWE ring. You know, he at Survivor Series, he uh, you know he hit the referee Scott Armstrong and delivered a pretty hard uh, Scorpion Death Drop on Triple H. And at Fastlane, he took a few shots from Triple H, nothing major, and then uh, once again delivered a. A pretty nice a Scorpion Death Drop that Triple H sold very nicely. So it's uh, going to be interesting to see how he, you know, uh, moves. You know, we haven't really seen him. You know, WWE's kind of covered him up, you know, with the trench coat and the, the one-piece uni with the Scorpion on it. Although I will say uh, I'm very glad that they finally got his hair situation, uh, you know, fixed. You know, if you saw him walk out during Survivor Series, he, and this hurts me to say this, man, but he had like three bald spots, you know, one in the middle, two on the side, 
you know, his hairline's pretty high up. I wouldn't say he has a receding hairline, but it, it's fairly high up. And they had the makeup stop like a little bit higher than the middle of his forehead. So he had like this weird gap between the hairline and the makeup. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, man. It kind of hurt me to see Sting, you know, Surfer Sting, the Crow Sting with tons of hair fighting the, the hairline battle. You'd think the WWE would have checked it before they had him walk out on his first uh, time ever. But uh, I did notice that uh, when he came out for Fastlane, they, they definitely had it uh, not comb over, but they fixed his uh, bald spots as best they could. But uh, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, halfway through the match what his hair is going to look like. Uh, you know, I'm a Sting fan, so it kind of bumps me out that, fuck, man, he's getting old. But uh, we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, and Raw's on tonight, a few hours uh, after this uh, episode. So uh, they better start moving on the buildup, though. He has no mainstream buildup. And I guess that's maybe due to The Rock not being involved. And uh, so, you know, they need something to, you know, get mainstream media to talk about this. And, uh, you know, just... WWE is kind of in a weird spot, you know, uh, rumors of uh, Brock Lesnar, you know, leaving to go back to the UFC, which I don't really understand. I mean, I'm assuming he makes more money doing wrestling than, uh, you know, fighting for real. I mean, I don't know who, who would want to fight for real in the UFC when you could, uh, and although you take tremendous punishment in pro wrestling, you know, I'd rather get a belly-to-belly -belly suplex from Roman Reigns than take a liver kick again from Aleister Overeem. But, uh, you know, I think Lesnar's a competitive guy, and he probably was like, I want to go back there and kick ass. Because, you know, his uh, championship, you know, he's got, I think, and a lot of people disagree with me on this, but, you know, Brock Lesnar's UFC card, I think, is one of the best ever, you know, because he basically only fought champions, and he beat most of them. Um, you know, the, I mean, I think his first... Uh, MMA match was over in Japan, you know, not necessarily a, a gimme fight, but, uh, you know, to get his feet wet. And then, uh, you know, he fought Heath Herring, who's, you know, very, very, very tough dude, and he just ran through him. And uh, then he fought Mir a few times, and, you know, even though Mir beat him in the first fight, it was really a controversial loss because he was killing Mir. And then uh, hit Mir... You know, to the back of the head a little, but uh, and the referee uh, Mazzagatti stopped the. Uh, they did a restart, and uh, then Mir got him in an ankle lock. But uh, you know, I've seen a lot worse hits to the head in, in MMA not get a restart. So I think Mir kind of lucked out there because he was well on his way to losing. And then, you know, you look at his uh, other fights. You know. Uh, Velasquez, you know, Couture, uh, you know, Mir again, um, Overeem. Uh, I mean, he fought the who's who. And uh, I don't think there's, uh, you know, say this about the UFC. They definitely didn't hand him any gimme fights. Uh, you know, you might say Herring. But, you know, Heath Herring is the worst fighter on your card. That's a good card. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Lesnar's match, you know, because... WWE's uh, kind of in a pickle, you know, because Roman Reigns, for whatever reason, is not over with the crowd. Um, he's not very good on the mic right now. Um, he's got a really bad gas tank. 
so he, he can't really have a great long match because um, he just you know he's either he's too muscular or he just has bad cardio uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see where they go uh, just a couple weeks ago uh, Lesnar and uh, Vince McMahon had a huge blow up on Raw and Lesnar walked out of Raw that he was supposed to be on TV on you know I, I kind of have a feeling that you know, Lesnar's WrestleMania match is the last one on his uh, contract, which is leading to all this uh, UFC speculation. And even Bellator has been thrown into the mix, which kind of makes sense uh, for Lesnar if he went to Bellator because, you know, he, he'd probably kill every guy over there and he wouldn't have to fight a lot. And, uh, you know, so that might be uh, to his liking. And that that reeks of a Scott Coker signing, you know, steal Lesnar from the UFC and, uh, you know, have a pay-per-view with, say, Brock Lesnar against Kimbo Slice, which would be a complete squash match, but it, I think that would get some numbers because of idiots like me. I'd buy that shit for $60 in two seconds. And you know they'd layer that card with some real mismatches. You know, they'd probably put the drummer of Def Leppard up against a Muay Thai champion. <laughs> you know, I, I love me some Scott Coker mismatches. You know, maybe get Bob Sapp and Hong Man Choi to, you know do something and then uh you know maybe have a women's fight two pregnant chicks just beating the shit out of each other stomach kicks you know don't put anything past coker trust me on that one folks so uh you know we'll see uh you know that's an intriguing match for sure you know uh because if if lesnar wins you know that probably means he's coming back to the wwe and a lot of people have speculated you know what vince and uh Lesnar were arguing about is maybe Vince trying to convince Lesnar to come back one more time at a discount or whatever for, for that Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania, which if you watch wrestling, you know that's a great Raw because it basically wraps up the storylines uh, from WrestleMania and then you lead into, you know, uh, SummerSlam and, and, you know, the big summer season. So, uh, you know... It's going to be a very interesting WrestleMania. Uh, if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, I think it's an interesting one because it's it's if you follow wrestling, you're into the storylines. But uh, they're going to have real trouble, uh, you know, getting uh, casual fans into this because there's just you know there's there's no reason for casual fans to turn in, uh, tune in unless you had The Rock do something in the next two weeks, which is possible, but. Uh, you know, that's my uh, road to WrestleMania build-up. You know, not a lot of interest, I think, in the Rusev-John Cena match. I mean, Cena right now is kind of like an 80s metal band in 97. You know, they're, they're there. And uh, Rusev, uh, although I like Rusev, kind of looks like a slightly chubbier version of Ted Arcidi, a strong man from back in the day. Um, you know, just, I don't know. It's for the U.S. Championship match, which, I don't know doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, interest uh, in that by the fans and then uh, you know uh, the, the tag team female match I, I don't know I actually think the Bella twins uh, I, I don't know that total diva show is, is it's not the best so uh, and the ratings are going down uh, you know the the acting and the setups on uh, total divas is the only thing worse than that is probably the setups uh, on comics unleashed and I love me some Byron Allen, but, uh, you know, 
when he tries to set the comics up for a joke, it's just the worst. So, Earl, I hear you like hockey. Uh, well, yeah, that's because I told you in the pre-interview. So, uh, you know, I love Byron Allen, though. He, he used to live in the same, or his mom used to live in the same building as me. So uh, I'd see him every now and then. And, you know, I was a fan of his from real people. So I would see him in the lobby, and we'd shoot the shit, and he'd kind of complain to me that no one was watching his show. And this is uh, at the time when... Uh, his show was on like ABC at like five in the morning on Sundays. And uh, I'd be like, well, dude, you know, one, you got a pretty rough time slot. Two, you're interviewing people like uh, Tody from Facts of Life. So you might want to try and get some celebrities on there. And, uh, you know, I might seem a little bitter towards Comics Unleashed. And that's because I think I'm the only comic on earth who hasn't done it yet. That's actually my credit is that I haven't done it. That's how I roll. That's how daddy rolls. So, uh, you know, that's my uh, road to WrestleMania. Hopefully something happens good in the next two weeks. And I'm going to uh, end this podcast on... Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think, kind of a new segment for me where uh, not every week, you know, because usually when I have a guest, we we don't have, uh, you know, a time, uh, time constraints uh, where I can't do this, but I, you know, every now and then I'm going to expose you to a movie or a band that I like. And, uh, you know, maybe a movie or band that, you know, was overlooked for whatever reasons. Um, and today I'm going to start uh, this segment with uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's it came out in 1986. And it's a highly uh, overlooked movie because a movie of a somewhat similar uh, storyline came out like a year later in 1987 called Fatal Attraction, which did huge box office. And uh, just kind of, I'll never understand why this movie that came out a year earlier didn't do as well. And it's a movie called 52 Pickup. And it just had such a great pedigree in this film, uh, directed by legendary director John Frankenheimer. Uh, starring the great Chief Brody from Jaws, Roy Scheider, who I think is one of the most underlooked actors of all time. Uh, I mean, his uh, movies he did in the 70s were amazing. And, uh, of course, the female lead in this was Anne Margaret. I mean, she fucked Elvis, man. That's all that needs to be said. And uh, looking pretty good uh, in this movie, too. And uh, speaking of looking good, uh, kind of a uh, bit part in this movie, but... Uh, Pretty good bit part was uh, Vanity, right before she found God. That was key. They got her before she found God. And uh, just a fantastic cast. Uh, the bad guy in this movie, uh, another criminally, criminally underrated uh, actor, John Glover. And, uh, you know, out here in L.A., you see a lot of uh, acting workshops, comedy workshops, you know, taught by people who you'd never heard of before, which always is made me want to go insane when you have an acting class taught by an actor you've never heard of before. If there was a class on how to act like a bad guy, John Glover should teach it because he was just fantastic in this movie as kind of the the swarmy, sleazy, good-looking uh, leader of the pack, if you will, uh, of the bad guys who uh, were played by the inimitably great Clarence Williams III has a kind of cracked out maniac and the 
often underrated Robert Trabor, who played like the nervous, Jewy uh, bad guy. It's just a great chemistry between these three. Super funny and, uh, you know, just a great... Uh, and Kelly Preston uh, played uh, a relatively small part in this uh, movie, and, and she was great as, you know, the, the young, you know, starlet who got roped into the porn world. And uh, it's an Elmore Leonard uh, novel. And uh, so, you know, you think Frankenheimer, Elmore Leonard, you know, Roy Scheider, Ann-Margaret, uh, why this movie? Uh, and it was, uh, you know, uh, done by uh, Globus, Yoram Globus and Menachem Golan, who just, if you uh, watched movies in the mid-'80s, those uh, kind of uh, cheeky you know, 80s movies. They also were responsible for another film that came out in 1986, The Delta Force with Chuck Norris. And uh, I always see the bad guy from The Delta Force, Robert Forrester, walking around my neighborhood. And, uh, you know, that's why I love living in L.A. Because where else in L.A. could you be walking your dog and fist bump the bad guy from Delta Force? And he's always a good sport when I see him. Although he looks at me like, oh my God, that's the guy who's going to ask me about Delta Force. So, uh, but 50, getting back to 52 pickup, I mean, also Ron Jeremy as a cameo. And, uh, here's what I love about that is in the credits for 52 pickup, Ron Jeremy's name is listed as Ron Jeremy Hyatt. Like he's going to fool people into thinking he's someone different. Like someone's going to look at him and go, Oh, Hey, who's that Ron Jeremy Hyatt guy? That's not the same Ron Jeremy. I know. Um, but uh, he had a very small part in it. But uh, this is a great movie. Basically, the plot is uh, Roy Scheider is cheating on Anne Margaret with Kelly Preston. And it's all a setup by uh, John Glover, Clarence Williams III, and Robert Trabor. They're going to get him on tape sleeping with Kelly Preston. They're going to blackmail him uh, because Anne Margaret in the movie is running for uh, office. And uh, they want $120,000 from uh, Roy Scheider and he says I can only get you 52000 hence the name 52 Pickup and it's just uh, all the actors had just great great chemistry in this movie and uh, it, if you like just a good sleazy drama you know mid 80's uh, plot it, I think it holds up still because the acting's good. And, uh, you know, for some, you know, and a lot of people have said, you know, movie reviewers, that uh, the reason maybe the film didn't do as well is it was kind of a dark movie set around the porn uh, world, but there really wasn't a lot of graphic scenes, uh, I guess, and I hope I'm not... Uh, well, I'll spoil the film, because you're probably not going to watch the film anyway. So, uh, really, the only graphic scenes were when uh, they killed Kelly Preston, and even that scene showed the brilliance of John Glover because he's just, uh, he shows, they basically make a snuff film when they kill her. And when Roy Scheider says he's not going to pay them, they kidnap Roy Scheider and show him the snuff film. And <laughs> John Glover is acting like he's a film critic as they show him the, Roy Scheider the snuff film. And it's really funny and real sleazy. And, uh, it's really you owe it to yourself to watch 52 Pickup. I do think they uh, have uh, a special edition DVD with uh, not necessarily uh, deleted scenes, but maybe some uh, 
commentary, which is always good. And uh, I'll leave you guys with uh, kind of a... I'll, I'll kill two birds in one stone. I'll talk about one more movie because it's got, got uh, not necessarily a, a similar storyline, but uh, 1982, I, I have another... You know, I, I've always gravitated towards character actors, you know, you know, obviously, you know, movies are made with guys like Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks and, uh, you know, Tom Byron. Just kidding. That's for you porn lovers. And, uh, you know, I've always appreciated character actors. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, character actors of all time is uh, the great Wings Hauser, and who in 1982 did a very sleazy movie called Vice Squad. And where he played the sadistic pimp Ramrod. And uh, it's kind of along the lines of 52 Pickup, you know, a very dark storyline. Uh, you know, basically the cops are chasing Ramrod to uh, catch him. He's, he's beating up all these prostitutes and he's going on a killing spree. He's a real badass. And uh, probably one of the greatest scenes in movie history is when Ramrod uh, Wingshauser breaks into. The great Fred Berry's uh, apartment. And uh, if you're wondering who Fred Berry is, it's not Ken Berry. It's a uh, rerun from What's Happening, who in Vice Squad was playing the sugar pimp Dorsey. Not Yorsey from the comedy store, but Dorsey. And uh, Wings Hauser cuts his balls off with the scissors. And uh, it's a real good scene. Just, it, just see Vice Squad for that, and you will be happy. And uh, that's just another reason why I miss the 80s is for movies like Vice Squad, 52 Pickup. Also another uh, really fun movie in 1984 that came out was Angel with the uh, incredibly uh, beautiful uh, Donna Wilkes from Jaws 2, which uh, Roy Scheider was in, of course. Interesting story about Jaws 2, if I can get into uh, Roy Scheider for a minute, is... He was scheduled to be in the Deer Hunter. Uh, I want to say he was supposed to play Michael, which was, I believe, De Niro's part in uh, Deer Hunter. And he had done pre-production for two weeks on the film, and then due to a contract dispute, uh, uh, with the, I don't know if it was Sony, but whatever film company, um, they he wanted to get out of his contract to do Deer Hunter, um, they said no, and, and basically kind of forced him to do Jaws too. And uh, so that would, you know, I've always been a fan of, you know, what if this person played that part in uh, this particular movie? And, uh, you know, I, I love Roy Scheider as an actor. And, uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen him in Deer Hunter because I think he would have done a great job. I mean, that's a great movie. Look at the cast from Deer Hunter, man. That's a killer cast. Uh, you know, John Savage. You know, uh, I almost said Rucker Howard, but, uh, you know, Christopher Walken, uh, you know, De Niro, uh, just some great character actors in that as well. And, uh, you know, Roy Scheider and, uh, you know, for the, I think, uh, that was a huge, uh, halt to, uh, his career. Cause after that, he, you know, he did, uh, I think Blue Thunder, which is kind of a cool movie, but, uh, he never really, uh, you know, seemed to, uh, get in a big movie after that you know then he was in sequest so uh you know you often wondered how that affected his career and you know uh there's a lot of uh cool stories like that 
in the, the 80s specifically about certain actors auditioning for parts. Like uh, even in the late 70s, there's some great uh, YouTube uh, screen tests of the original Star Wars cast. Uh, like uh, William Catt from Greatest American Hero auditioned to be uh, Luke Skywalker, and that, that's on there. Perry King, who was a very good-looking, uh, successful actor around that time, uh, he auditioned for Han Solo. Uh, I think Christopher Walken auditioned for Han Solo. Um, Glenn Turney, uh, for the, you fans of The Wire, uh, the mayor, Mayor Royce from The Wire, was uh, very close to becoming uh, Han Solo. Uh, so that would have been weird, uh, or you know, cool, whatever you want to say, to have a black Han, a black Han Solo, which might have explained why original drawings of the Millennium Falcon had a dub sticker on the back. What the fuck? Uh, and uh, you know, John Travolta was uh, originally supposed to be Richard Gere's part in American Gigolo. As well as an uh, officer and a gentleman. So uh, I think uh, Richard Gere has a lot to be thankful for uh, to John Travolta. You know, those were two pretty big roles for uh, Gere that kind of catapulted him into uh, superstardom while uh, John Travolta was making that movie with Lily Tomlin and uh, also the great uh, Staying Alive, which I think uh, Sylvester Stallone directed. And, uh, and I'm sure Frank Stallone got his mitts in the ring on that one too. It's got to be tough if you're Frank Stallone, man. You're fucking, you know, your brother's one of the biggest actors of all time. I'm not saying greatest actors, although I don't think he's as bad of an actor as people, you know, kind of seem to, you know, throw at him. Uh, and you still can't work. You still can't get work in this business. I mean, if my brother was Sylvester Stallone, I would at least get a, you know, an extra part in Cobra or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think, Frank Stallone's more famous for, you know, Norm Macdonald making fun of him than he is for his uh, acting and stuff. So, uh, you know, if you're a casting director out there, someone give Frank Stallone some work. Come on, baby. So this has been, uh, I think, a pretty fun episode for me to do. It's, it's hard to talk an hour straight. So I hope you are interested in this. And uh, I'm going to go to my uh, favorite gay gym in the world right now, Equinox. And I... I probably shouldn't say their name because they're not paying me but uh equinox in west hollywood it's just it's heaven on earth man because where else can you work out next to fabio and uh see his commercial play on in the background it's like 3d and uh if you've listened to this podcast and if you've listened to me on other people's podcasts you'll also know that uh the steam room stories from equinox uh that's that that's a whole nother show I don't want to bore you with those stories again, but, uh, you know, I try and fly low and avoid the radar in the steam room at this gym. But uh, this has been a fun episode, so uh, in closing, please go rent, buy on Amazon, 52 pickup. You, you'll love it. And if you're really into my, I'm going to start like an Earl Flicks. Uh, yeah, Vice Squad with Wings Hauser. Uh, I forgot to mention about Vice Squad. Uh, playing the lead prostitute in that movie is Kurt Russell's ex-wife, uh, Susan Hubley, who had a cool scene in Escape from New York with uh, Kurt Russell. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but when uh, Kurt Russell went into the abandoned building and Susan Hubley is like, yeah, you're Snake Plissken. All right. That was his ex-wife. So, uh, of course, Kurt Russell killed it in the uh, 
hockey movie miracle was Herb Brooks really uh, captured his essence. And uh, I will leave you with, um, I don't know the exact name of the documentary, but it's a 30 for 30 on the uh, Miracle on Ice. Uh, but it tells not the U.S. side of the story, which we all know, um, but it tells the Russian side of the story uh, and how devastating that loss was to them. And I still don't think, and I was talking about this with a friend the other day, how great of a victory that was in America. I mean, basically, you had a, a group of players from the U.S. who were fresh out of high school, right into college, playing a Russian all-star team of seasoned pros. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, most Olympic uh, sports at the time where it's all amateurs. You know, this would be the equivalent of freshmen and sophomores in college beating the uh, Lakers. Well, they probably could beat the Lakers this year, but, uh, you know, this would be the equivalent of a team of... Uh, you know, freshmen and sophomores being the Super Bowl champions. It was just an unbelievable victory, uh, not just for U.S. sports, but just for underdog in any sports of any era. I don't think you'll ever see something like that happen again. Um, you know, it was just an unbelievable uh, way to start off a decade that was probably the best decade for the U.S., the 80s. And... Uh, but you know, the story of the Russian side of things was never really told. You know, just a devastating loss for that country too. Especially, this is you got to understand. This was right around, uh, you know, the Cold War still pumping, and uh, you know, threats of war constantly between the U.S. and Russia. And I, I think this victory by the U.S. actually helped stop a world war. And I'm not kidding. I mean, I think the the Russian side, after you watch this documentary, and I'm going to look up the name of the documentary, uh, I think it's called Miracles of Men. Uh, I might be off on that, but it's on Netflix, and uh, it totally deflated a country. And you wouldn't think a sporting event would, you know, stop a world war, but uh, it, I think, bayoued the, the U.S. side um, Yes, it's 30 for 30. It's called The Miracles of Men. So uh, watch that on Netflix. It's, it's a fascinating uh, look at the other side of things, which basically you've never heard until now. And uh, those 30 for 30s are awesome, man. Uh, Bernie and Ernie, uh, about Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld, that's a great one. I mean, I've, I've not seen a bad 30 for 30, even on sports or subjects that I'm not necessarily interested in. Like the two Escobars was great, and I'm not really a big soccer guy, but um, that's a great one, and uh, so many. Uh, so there's a lot of good stuff on TV nowadays, uh, documentaries. Thank God for Netflix, because regular TV sucks. I mean, that NBC show Allegiance was canceled after like two episodes, and I remember watching it going, this just looks like the rejected scripts that you know the Americans uh, gave them. And, uh, you know... There's so many, uh, you know, it's like State of Affairs, which is doing pretty good in the ratings, but they just seem like they were running on rejected scripts of Homeland. So, uh, by the way, uh, please check out the video, uh, Season 5 uh, preview of Homeland with me and Whitney Lee Rice uh, on YouTube. It's really funny. I play Saul, she plays Carrie, and she knocks it out of the park. 
So uh, that is, uh, I guess that's it for episode 56. Uh, sorry I couldn't get a guest uh, for you, but uh, sometimes it's hard to get people to come down here. I got a few uh, guests coming, but uh, they couldn't come this week. And uh, thank you guys all for the support. You know, I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and uh, certainly a lot that get bigger names than I do and, and uh, you know, get much bigger uh, audiences. But uh, I really do do this for you guys. Uh, you guys have been great to me the support uh you know where you can find us on soundcloud and itunes uh please leave a review on itunes if you have the time it really helps uh you know obviously the goal with this podcast is to get featured along the the likes of rogan's podcast uh, joe rogan experience which is a great podcast he has a lot of cool guests uh, you know mark Marins, uh you know chris hardwick's i mean it's you know, once I get in with those, the big dogs, you know, bigger name guests will say, oh, I'll do this guy's podcast too. So, uh, you know, that is it for now. Uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's just Earl Skakel, E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. And uh, thank you guys very much for the support. I do it all for you. And I'm at the Comedy Store a lot. If you're in L.A., come see me at the Comedy Store. And uh, other places, but the Comedy Store is my uh, home base of operation. And you can just call there and, uh, you know, ask to find out when Earl is playing. The number there is 323-650-6268. But don't, you know, don't like call there and say like, oh, I want to see the greatest comic of all time, Earl. You know, you got to play it cool. Act like you've been there before. You know, otherwise it's too obvious and I won't get any spots because you ham and eggers are trying to, you know, bump me up too fast. You know, you got to do it on the DL. Of course, I'm telling you to do it on the DL, giving the Comedy Store's phone number on my podcast. So uh, thank you guys very much. Earl Skakel checking out episode 56 of Inappropriate Earl. See ya! <laughs>